Friends uh, to Voices of the Sacred Feminine, whether you're across town or across the globe. And I'd like to welcome you uh, to tonight's special event, uh, another uh, episode of our Food for Thought series. And uh, tonight's topic is Spiritual Morality of Caring Economics versus Separation of Church and State. So thank you for tuning in tonight uh, while I fill you in on some Food for Thought that was a result of a presentation I made recently as part of a Rianne Eisler Center for Partnership studies class on caring economics that uh, I had been enrolled in. The subject came up uh, that feminists have often divorced their social justice work from religion or spirituality. Well, myself, I believe in using critical thinking to reconcile one's spirituality and politics. Uh, some think the two do not have to be in sync, and when one uh, does bring religion into lawmaking and policy, then we perhaps are on a slippery slope toward violating the sanctity of the separation of church and state protections provided by the Constitution. So, um, listen in. And you decide, and I am uh, happy to hear your comments uh, after you've uh, heard the show. So uh, here goes. Um, admittedly, you know, my approach to caring economics and partnership might be unique uh, or in the minority uh, over at the Center for Partnership Studies. I don't really know, to tell you the truth, um, but it comes integrated with the added dimensions of sacred feminine liberation theology, otherwise known as goddess spirituality, manifested as deity, archetype, uh, or ideal. And since I've embraced Rianne Eisler's partnership work many years ago, and incorporated it within my spiritual teachings, I've been surprised no one in all these years has suggested it might be some violation of that sometimes flimsy wall between church and state. And at my practicum presentation um, that uh, students have to do for the class they're taking, the subject was gently broached. Uh, an attendee uh, lamenting the fact feminists... Um, more often seem to uh, have separated their political beliefs and work for social transformation from spirituality, asked me if I ever felt uncomfortable publicly connecting the dots between spirituality and politics, feminism, and caring economics. Well, until now... Um, uh, when I was asked that question, uh, one of the most awkward uh, questions I'd fielded up until then was, who are you to speak for goddess? To which I gently replied, have you questioned the patriarchs who for thousands of years have not hesitated to speak of, shall we say, their own divine inspiration or to speak for God? Well, that sort of stopped the inquirer in their tracks. I, and I bring that up, and I say that because of the obvious double standard. Is anyone holding the feet of primarily white Christian men to the fire as they pass legislation based on their religion that stifles the constitutional rights of women to control their own reproduction or tells people uh, who they can love and marry or, you know, their religion that has caused so many to feel they were abominations for not conforming? Well, sacred feminine liberation theology, on the other hand, is quite the opposite. 
it's life-affirming, and it embraces the values of freedom and partnership, not oppression and domination. And unlike the fundamentalist Abrahamic religions, it's not used as a means to control or have power over the masses. Goddess spirituality suggests and encourages equality, justice, wholeness, and interconnection. Separation of church and state laws would seem more necessary to protect us from zealots who would impose religious conformity, not a spirituality of liberation. That said, I'll admit it could be a slippery slope. Who's to say one day there won't be a royal priestess from somewhere who will tell men they must please their wives in bed or burn in the fires of the Hawaiian volcano goddess Pele? <laughs> or perhaps risk some sort of community shaming. Maybe they'll be forced to mutilate their genitals to control their roaming manhood. Okay, all kidding aside about the separation of church and state, let me share a quote of someone I admire, the scholar Gus Desarega, who said, A pagan can no more be a Republican than a Jew can be a Nazi. Well, I love that quote because I've run into many people who have not done the critical thinking to reconcile their spirituality and politics. They're all over the place, not perhaps realizing how at odds the two might be. I've met feminists who believe because they've been oppressed, they're entitled to be the oppressor now and discriminate according to gender. Or so-called environmentalists or earth-based spirituality practitioners who vote for politicians who sell out Mother Earth to multinational corporations. Or support women and men who feel entitled to, shall we say, put baby in the corner and prefer her barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. To me, laws and government budgets and and politics reflect the morality of our society, and our morality should be in sync with our spirituality or religion. Otherwise, uh, there's a cognitive disconnect. If we have spent our adult feminist lives, men and women, trying to dissolve uh, the suffering brought on by marginalization or subjugation or opposing the domination and patriarchal values of the status quo or establishment, I believe goddess advocates are obligated to consider if they should be using their sacred roar to help rebirth a world where caring economics, equality, peace, and partnership are valued as our real wealth and where the common good and win-win outcomes are always the goal. I hope to see the day humans will have nothing to fear from another's traditions, religion, politics, or economic values, but obviously we're not there yet. So I support the separation of church and state. But I gotta tell you, I don't lose any sleep worrying if I'm violating uh, if I'm in violation of the First Amendment of the Constitution because I reconcile my spiritual liberation theology with my caring politics and suggest my students do the same. So maybe some questions to ponder. Have you noticed the double standard out there, how certain religions can get away with talking politics from the pulpit and not risk their tax-exempt status, but others, um, others can't get away with that? I remember when a progressive Christian church in the L.A. area got in trouble for talking peace and not war from the pulpit. 
but right-wing churches in red states across the country who were backing the Iraq war. Nobody was coming after them because they were violating their nonprofit laws. Do you think churches should have tax-exempt status if they interfere in or try to influence politics? Or maybe they could be means-tested before getting or keeping a tax-exempt status. Let's say, for instance, the Vatican, with all its wealth, or any other denomination that's mega-wealthy, should they continue to receive tax-exempt status? Or maybe only if they are just a poor upstart? You know, maybe food for thought. And did you know the NFL is also tax-exempt? That's pretty crazy. We often hear progressive Christians say, what would Jesus do? To shame lawmakers into having some mercy or empathy as they wield their power and pass laws. Is that a violation of the separation between church and state? Or what about when lawmakers try to pass laws that discriminate or prevent women from having birth control paid for because it's part of their religious beliefs? Why are they allowed to do that? Isn't that a violation of church and state provisions in the Constitution? Have you thought about if you think it's important to reconcile your spiritual beliefs and your politics? Or are your political and spiritual beliefs compatible? Just some food for thought. Write me and let me know if you have any comments you'd like to share. I really would like to hear you. And because we have a little bit of time and uh, I don't often get a chance to share this with you, um, we always seem to uh, run out of time on our regular shows, I thought I would just share a f- uh, two outtakes from um, the important film, Femme, Women Healing the World. I was, in, uh, I, I was honored to be uh, part of that film, uh, produced by Emmanuel Etier of uh, Wonderland Entertainment and actress Sh- uh, Sharon Stone. I was in it alongside uh, many of my mentors, like Rianne Eisler and uh, Jean Shinoda Bolin, Jean Houston, uh, a lot of other uh, wonderful women whose uh, wisdom I've learned so much from. So um, in the in the film, um, the producer was courageous enough to actually um, talk about religion and the effect it has on our culture. And uh, he actually went back to the days of goddess. And I was one of the ones that uh, actually sort of carried the message of goddess, talking about how uh, goddess spirituality is about the we and the us, not the I and the me. So, for your listening pleasure, I will play two outtakes, um, some of the things I said that got left on the cutting room floor, because there were so many voices uh, in the film. So, uh, here goes. Uh, it might take a minute to start, but uh, let's try to get that going right now. Here's number one. Well, yeah, I've had a one-sided view of the divine. And the reason we've had a one-sided view of the divine is because the myths that uh, our society lives by are the myths that only speak about a male god. When, in fact, a goddess has been around for 30, 30 or 40,000 years. 
Uh, we can look to the artifacts. We can look to the archaeological sites. We can look to the textiles. We can look to the myths. But, you know, because religion is about power and politics, uh, the sacred feminine has sort of been swept beneath the sands of time. And uh, the mythology of goddess uh, has been uh, obscured purposefully uh, because this is all about um, uh, uplifting uh, the patriarchy as opposed to um, having a balanced society where you have the attributes of the feminine and the masculine uh, in control in society. So when you consider that uh, one person's myth is another person's religion, uh, and, and when that myth is um, dominated by a male guide, well then you have male leadership uh, that, that predominates in society. So as a result, women have been subjugated, and goddesses uh, become our role models, they become our archetypes. So when we only have a male guide that, that is at the center of society, well that sets the male gender up to be the leader of the society, and, and that then um, subjugates women to sort of a second-class supporting role rather than a partnership, rather than uh, an equal role where they are, uh, in a sense, um, you know, looking over humankind together, or men and women, or uh, leading and ruling together. Um, well, I, I think we, we have to really give ourselves permission to rethink everything. Uh, we have to rethink our religion. We have to rethink our politics. You know, very long ago, uh, you know, things shifted away from the idea of, uh, of us valuing nature. And let's face it, you know, goddess is nature. And as a result of us uh, being told that uh, nature is evil, uh, you know, women and their bodies and sexuality, that's all become a taboo subject uh, rather than something sacred like it used to be. Um, we have to rethink that. Um, we have to, you know, rethink what we value in the world. Uh, are we going to value a big bank account? Uh, or are we going to value what we contribute to society, how we are in service to each other? And I think, you know, with patriarchy and, um, and capitalism, it's all about competition. And that means there has to be winners and losers. But if we look for ways to collaborate, collaborate, if we look for ways to be in partnership with one another, whether it's your friend or whether it's, uh, you know, a corporation or whether it's another country, uh, the world would be a much more uplifted and evolved place, less likely to end in war, less likely to end in 
um, you know, one, uh, you know, country or corporation, you know, being dominated by another and uh, the suffering that results from that. Uh, we, we've seen so much militarism, colonialism, uh, you know, all of these isms, the, you know, the sexism, the homophobia, you know, all of these different things that, um, you know, that, that start with religion and move through politics, move through traditions, move through society, and, and shape how we do things. We have to have the courage to shed light on um, how this all began, how uh, what was normal got turned on its head, and sort of right things so that, you know, we're, we're in a place of balance. You know, it used to be the ancient Egyptians talked to us about, um, you know, they were, they were so afraid of things being out of balance because once things went out of balance, we would have chaos. Well, the world is out of balance. It started with a gender imbalance where it was the masculine over the feminine, and we just had an imbalance, uh, you know, throughout history, whether it be one, you know, one country and power over another or the rich over the poor or whites dominating blacks. There's always this dominator model where, uh, you know, someone's always trying to climb on somebody else's shoulders to get ahead. Well, we need to think more of, about level playing fields. We need to think more about an egalitarian society where there's equality, where there's justice, um, where, where there's truth, where there's freedom. And actually, the, you know, there are goddesses in their mythology that help us lead the way, that provide a template for us to um, embrace these sort of ideals in society. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.